Hello, this is Kevin O'Connor, staff writer at The Ringer. We have a super special two-part episode of The Ringer NBA show for you today. First up, we have Shea Serrano to discuss Game 5 of Rockets Warriors, which was just absolutely thrilling. What a game to watch last night. And after that, we'll bring in Jonathan Charks and Danny Chow for draft class. And we're going to talk about the latest reports involving Luka Doncic and Michael Porter potentially rising up the rankings. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. My name is Kevin O'Connor. We have a very, very special episode tonight with my very good friend. It's Shay Serrano. Hello. Shay, that game was insane, wasn't it? We got to call a truce. We got to call a truce, Shay. Come on. No, how about you? How about how's that oh, for your truce? Come on, Shay. All right. Truce. Truce for 25 minutes, and then we're back at war with one another. Okay, perfect. 25 minutes gives us more than enough time to talk about that insane, thrilling, Rockets win over the Warriors 98 to 94, went down to the final minutes. Chris Paul was unbelievable in that second half, wasn't he, Shay? Seemed like a trademark performance for him. Yeah. It was cool for like seven minutes when he hit those goofy shots like back to back. And then he tried to do it two or three more times and you're like, all right, chill out. <laughs> He, d- he did hit that righty leaner driving to the rim, that which put the Rockets up six with about four minutes to go left in the game. Gave them the cushion that they needed until he got hurt at the end. But it, it-, it seemed like over the course of the game, this-, this win for Houston happened despite the fact they didn't get a lot of offensive contributions. They shot only 13 for 43, Harden and Paul did. Harden was 0 for 11 from three. They were a combined 11 for 40. It was a really rough offensive performance, and yet Houston was still able to pull that out, Jay. Yeah, I remember that. As soon as he started driving in for that, that floater he hit over Draymond to put him up six, I remember that almost nearly exact same shot because he hit it over my beloved Tim Duncan in Game 7 when he was with the Clippers. As soon as he started driving, I was like, oh, this, this is a good bucket here. Rockets are going up six. Yeah, Chris was... If Chris doesn't play as aggressively as he was right there, cause it, because at this point, it's less about like, nobody's shooting well, it's fine. But it's less about, are you missing me because you're scared or are you missing me because you're missing? And it never one time in that second half felt like if he missed a shot, it was because he was scared. He just felt like he missed it. And I think that's really what Houston has been missing more than anything else. Because if you look at the way they played in the playoffs last year when they didn't have Chris and it was like James Harden's turn, to, to go nuts. Like he just couldn't ever quite do it. You always felt he had a little bit of fear inside of him when you got to those terrible moments. And with Chris, it doesn't feel like that. I think the other guys, Eric Gordon, especially is like, we got a fucking dude here. Let's go. It's really cool to watch. I mean, I don't like the Rockets. I'm very clearly and on the record as being anti Rockets, but watching them play the Warriors, it's like, this is really great watching them sort of pull the legs off the Warriors in the way that everybody said couldn't be done. And really, the only time it seemed like they were, quote-unquote, afraid, they weren't afraid, but the only time they weren't clicking, I thought, was after Steph went off in Game 4 and they had the 41-point loss. Their defense just kind of melted down in the fourth quarter. But besides that, they are making life hell for Golden State on when Golden State has the ball. Would there, look, Daryl Morey built this team 
to beat Golden State. They have versatile defenders with P.J. Tucker, Trevor Ariza. They have a really good big man in Clint Capella. James Harden is trying on defense. Gerald Green somehow has been solid for them. Like they, they have made life really difficult for Golden State. And Shay, I think that's where the series so far is being won for Houston. It's on the defensive end of the floor, forcing Golden State into shots that they don't want to take. ISOs and really been tough for them cutting off ball as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, the the Warriors only scored ninety four points tonight. Like we're used to watching the Warriors put up one ten without really trying, without their guys playing for the last seven minutes of the fourth quarter. So I think this water is a little unfamiliar for the Rockets. I mean, excuse me, for the for the Warriors, and it's fun to watch because it's unfamiliar for the Rockets too. This is the furthest they've been in the playoffs in a long time. Um, as far as we're like in game five, game six, headed toward, it's it's really cool to watch these guys just sort of punch each other in the nose over and over again, trying to see who falls <laughs> down first. It is cool. I mean, like you know, Houston was the one seed, but they were the, they were essentially the underdog on NBA Twitter yeah. heading into the series, and it's just really cool to see them actually doing it. Yeah, you know what I saw right before you called? I saw a cool stat that said you mentioned James was an O of eleven this game. He's 0 of 20 in his last 23s, starting from game four to now. But during that 0 of 20 stretch, the Rockets have outscored the Warriors by 12, which is like, how does that happen? You know? It's defense, right? Like it, it has yeah. to be because of the defensive end of the floor. And, you know, like that's the thing with Golden State, right? Like, yeah, they have Steph Curry and yeah, they have Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson. But the dirty se- secret with this team is besides those guys, who who scares you, you know, shooting the ball? There's nobody on that team. Well, I think that that's enough, though. Yeah, I think Clay be. Thompson, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. <laughs> Three of the best shooters ever, right? <laughs> that's plenty. Yeah, you're fine. It, sh- it should be enough, though, but it seems like watching the games that it's not, though. Yeah, well, I don't understand what's going on with Clay, especially. He was, I mean, he he played okay tonight. He, had, he was 8 of 14, 23 points, but he just felt invisible. Like, we saw it in game, even game four when the Warriors ended up losing, but there was a moment where Steph just took over and everything felt like, oh, this is the Warriors we're used to watching. Like, it seems like fewer and fewer of those moments are happening as the series goes along. And I think that that's just making everybody feel a little nervous. Where's the Clay moment? Where's the, you know, where's the Durant moment? I mean, like, Durant had his moment in game one, but ever since then, he, he hasn't necessarily yeah. shot the ball that great from the floor. And again, like that yeah. again seems like a testament to Houston making things tough on them. I think Kevin Durant, people have been complaining about, oh, they're running more isolations. Is it because of KD? It's like, yeah, they need KD because when you're facing this Houston defense, when they are locking down all your fancy off ball cuts and your screens off ball, you're forced into isolations. And having KD is is obviously it doesn't hurt you having Kevin Durant, but they, you're right, Shay. They haven't had necessarily had enough of those moments. Steph did in the third quarter of Game Four, and then a little bit in Game Five as well. And Katie did in Game One. But other than that, they haven't had that spectacular moment on their end of the floor. But then again, so hasn't Houston, right? Houston hasn't shot over forty percent from three yet this series, and they were nineteen and two on the season. They had twenty-one games when they shot above forty percent, and they haven't had that game yet. So. Do you think if Chris Paul's out, you know, for game six, and we don't know yet, he was hurt at the end of the game. If Chris Paul is out, does does the does the potential of them having that super hot shooting game still to give them a chance, or are they in trouble without CP potentially? I hope that we get the game where, where they go nuts from three. I was before this game started, before game five started, I was praying it was gonna be tonight. 
but now maybe game six works better. You know what's crazy to think about? This is very similar to the series they played against San Antonio, except in the reverse, where game five was like super tight all the way through the last five minutes, and then the overtime it was like they're just sort of pushing each other back and forth, seeing who's going to fall down. And, you know, the Rockets ended up blowing that game when Harden had a three-pointer blocked and San Antonio won by three, I think. So what if this is a similar situation where the Rockets now are in that spot? They steal game five when they, they it looked like they should have lost. And then their guy is out. Like San Antonio had Kawhi out for game six and the Spurs still won. Maybe CP3 is out. And then the Rockets go nuts and they win this one. Like that would be a very, a very cool like circle to tie together for the universe. How much of this, Shay, is just Golden State being sloppy? Like that last play, I mean, with about, you know, whatever it was, 10 seconds left when they passed the Draymond Green and he looked like a wide receiver turning his head before he caught the ball. How much of this is just Golden State being sloppy? It's at least 40% of that. Because you you feel like they've had games where they didn't shoot that well, but they still won because they're Golden State. They play good defense. And it's like they usually will mess up maybe one part of the game. They'll mess up, but they won't score a bunch or the defense won't be great or they'll have a bunch of turnovers. But not very often is it two of those three and especially not very often is it all three of those things. And we've gotten tonight, we had the game where all three of those things seem to go wrong for them. It's just, it's weird to to watch. It's tough to look ahead not knowing Chris Paul's status. Uh, he was definitely pretty hampered at the end of that game. What does Golden State need to do to finish the series off to win the last two games? Because it's like you said, they had all three of those things go wrong for them tonight, and it has a couple other times as well. Is it just fixing one of those things, or do they need a lot more to go right than that? I think you just need one of those. You just don't turn the ball over as much as you did tonight, and and you're fine, especially if Chris is out. because. As much as we seem to be rooting for James Harden to sort of pull this series toward Houston, he just hasn't been doing it. He didn't do it in game five, uh, game four. He, he was like, you know, he missed the last two or three shots in the end of the fourth quarter. Just, that would have got the game for them there. He didn't do anything really tonight uh, at all in the second half. Yeah, you know, what, how many points did he have in the total, like, 19 or 18 or something like that. 19 like it wasn't points a lot. on 21 shots. So five, yeah. five of 21 from the floor. And fatigue's really been a thing for him this entire playoff. Like he's had amazing game ones and had some amazing moments, but he hasn't able, been able to sustain it at all. Yeah. And what's weird about that is, so tonight, I don't, I don't even think he played 40 minutes tonight. If I'm not mistaken. 39. So, so that's like, that's yeah, like see? low for, <laughs> for this point. Yeah. Yeah. And the, but, uh, but the warrior, I mean, Draymond played that many. Kevin played that many. Steph played like all the main guys are playing that many. Trevor, Tucker, Chris Paul was up there too. Like, don't tell us you're tired. That can't be the reason. You're not LeBron here who's responsible for every <laughs> single thing on the team. You don't get to be tired when you have Chris Paul running the offense half the time or whatever. So I don't know, man. It's going to be tough if Chris is out. That's the scary part because, you know, Harden. Harden isn't 100% in terms of energy levels right now. He's definitely fatigued. Whether he should be or not, he is, it seems. And, and if Chris Paul is out, you know, we talked earlier about, like, maybe maybe Houston has their hot shooting game, but part of the way to get that hot shooting performance is by having one of the best playmaking point guards ever feeding the players the ball. And if you don't yeah, have Chris that Paul, that's going to be problematic for their hopes in that game. Like, even if, even if James Harden is better, having that second guy who can create when Harden's on the bench – 
is going to make a significant difference. Because now you just got one if he's gone. Yeah, the Rockets only had 12 assists tonight, which is not a lot of assists to have for a game. Let's move on to the other series. Continuing tonight, Shay. Celtics are up 3-2 in the series over LeBron James and the Cavaliers. Shay, what does Cleveland need to do to extend the series? They just need for everybody, not LeBron, to be not awful. (laughs) They've been so bad. I can't imagine you're LeBron James. You're in the locker room putting on your jersey, and you like catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror, and you say to yourself, I'm looking at if not the greatest basketball player of all time, one of the two greatest basketball players of all time. That's what I'm looking at right now. And then you turn to the side and it's fucking Jeff Green. And then on the other side is nobody else. Like, that. like what, is it? what is happening here? It's terrible. It's, it's like LeBron called Jordan Clarkson, Jordan Crawford during the press yeah, conference. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't even know his name. Oh, he knew his name. He did that shit on purpose. One hundred percent, he did because he did that in the middle of like reciting off four straight plays that had happened, and he's like, "Oh, I don't remember the guy. The guy on my team's name. That's crazy." Poor LeBron. I feel so bad for LeBron. I mean, part of it's his doing, though. I mean, by having the signing the one year deals and the, the big contracts for Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith. I mean, I feel bad too, but it's also partially his fault, though. Like that has led to this. Yeah, it's a little bit his fault, which is fine. It's fine. He's LeBron. He'll be okay. Yeah, he'll, he's LeBron. He'll go to the Lakers this summer and build a new super team. Yikes. But we'll see how long it lasts. I mean, Cleveland could still storm back. They have been. Ter- they were terrific in games three and four at home, whereas Boston, the entire playoffs, has looked like a completely different, inferior team on the road. What, what's Is that going to continue in game six, or is this going to be a different game? Is this going to be close, kind of like the last two um, Houston-Golden State games have been? You know, if Golden State would have won this game tonight, I think then LeBron just shuts it down for game six. And he goes, you know what? We're not going to be Golden State, and I don't want to go to the finals and then hear everybody talk about how I'm three for eight in the finals. I don't want to do that. But since Houston won, I think LeBron comes out and he's like, you know, there's a chance we could play Houston, and I feel like I can beat Houston. So he's going to come out hard in game six is what I think is going to happen. Is that fair when people knock him for that, the finals losses? No, it's ridiculous. It's so dumb. Every time somebody makes that argument, they're like, oh, winning is the only thing that matters or whatever bullshit like that. And then they start like picking up other little things. Like you can't argue if winning is the only thing that matters. You can't like not give credit because a guy didn't do this or didn't do that. It's the dumbest thing in the world. It's like with that argument, they always, they they knock him for making the finals and losing, but they don't care when he doesn't make the finals. It's yeah, twisted. exactly. It's like what, what are you what are you talking about? I do think with with this series, though. Look, Boston has not been good at the road the entire playoffs, but no. that doesn't mean that it'll change this game because, like you said, Cleveland's supporting cast has not been good at all. I, I, they've been really, really bad for the most part, even though they had some moments in games three and four. I don't, I don't trust anybody else on that team. Boston has one of, if not the best defense in basketball, and they have made it really tough for Cleveland to run some of their some of their actions for Kevin Love. I mean, they're relying on like George Hill to generate offense. I think that says everything mm-hmm. you know about Cleveland. I, if you're Cleveland, you need, I think, possibly an all-time LeBron James performance to beat Boston in Game 6, and 7 for that matter. If you get that, then you certainly have a chance, but I don't know if you can rely on J.R. Smith to heat up for Kyle Korver to have another great defensive performance. It just seems like it's asking a lot from the rest of that team. You need the LeBron from when they came back 3-1 in the finals 
Like you need 40 plus points, 40 plus points, triple double LeBron. You need that for game six and game seven. If Boston is going to win, because I think Boston will probably lose game six just because it's in Cleveland and all those guys are still so young and nobody really knows what they're walking into just yet. So I think LeBron comes out with the flamethrower early in that game and just sort of burns everybody to death. And then you get to game seven and then it's, you know, it's a, it's a toss up there, but I don't know. It would be really great to see Houston and Boston in the finals. I think part of the reason I'm rooting for the Rockets so much right now is it's just going to be hilarious if the Warriors lose and you have all these people who have been talking about how they're so terrible for basketball and they've ruined this and they've ruined it and they haven't ever even won two championships in a row. Like that would just make me so happy. It would be perfect. It it absolutely would be. Uh, And and if Boston's on the other end, it would be quite an interesting story, like not having Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward and being led by Al Horford and a 20-year-old Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier in the starting lab and somehow Aaron Baines becoming a really good defensive player all of a sudden. It it would be a hell of a story if somehow they were able to, they, they were the team of all teams to take down LeBron James and you mentioned LeBron earlier needing to have his like three one comeback um, type of performances. If that were to happen, Boston I think needs more from Jason Tatum, who was tremendous in Game Five uh, with twenty four points, seven rebounds, four assists, four steals, two blocks. Just an excellent all around performance for him. But I think there's more. Like they can get more out of him against this Cleveland team with J.R. Smith defending him and Kyle Korver occasionally. I think if they need to squeeze more out of Tatum, they can get it. Yeah, he's capable of, of, you know, 32. Like a 32-point game is not a reach for Tatum. And an efficient 32, like 32 on 18 shots or something crazy like that. I, you know what's, what's interesting to me when I think when I'm looking at this series, when I'm talking about Boston and, and Cleveland, is how much pressure is on Kyrie, how much pressure is on Gordon if the Celtics do make it to the finals. And let's say they make it to the finals and they they lose to Houston or or Golden State. Like next year, you have to get back to the finals when you have Gordon and Tyree, right? Like that, like it can't not be that, and it has to be that forever going forward. Then, like that's just crazy to think about. I feel like they might be over there hoping that they lose. Do you ever feel that vibe? I feel like that's happening. If you're Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, yeah. Like if I went on vacation from the Ringer for six weeks. I would want for y'all to fucking just fall apart. <laughs> that's what I would want. I wouldn't want to see y'all thriving without me. That's, that's just, it puts them in a weird spot, I'm sure. Just as long as you have a job when, when you get back from vacation, though, at least. Yeah, yeah. But, but, On the brink of, like, bankruptcy. That's what I want. <laughs> and then I come back and I save it. <laughs> you, you would be sending out one of your X amount of weeks without getting fired at theringer.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could start new ones X amount of weeks since I saved the ringer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do think there has to be a small part of Kyrie and Gordon Hayward that would feel disappointed <laughs> if the Celtics were to win the title, which isn't going to happen. I mean, they're not beating Golden State or Houston, are they? Or do you think there's actually a chance? No, they're not beating either one of those teams. I, whoever comes out of the West is winning the the title. Although, to be fair, it feels like everybody's been saying that about <laughs> yeah. since the playoffs started. Whoever gets matched up against the Celtics automatically advances. Yeah, it's, and it's, it keeps not happening. How many games did you pick Houston in against Boston? Uh, five. And that's if Chris Paul is healthy? That's if Chris Paul is playing, yeah. Okay, yeah, I think five's fair. I think Boston can steal one with their defense. Yeah, they'll get they'll get one. The Rockets will go up three zero. They'll get a little lazy, 
and then uh, you know they'll come back to earth and there you go also released today was the all nba teams just briefly go through those first team harden lebron james anthony davis damian lillard kevin durant second team Giannis antetokounmpo russell westbrook joel b lamarcus aldridge demar Derozan. third team stephen curry victor oladipo carl anthony towns jimmy butler paul george shay who is the biggest snub or the biggest surprise that actually made it you know i'm uh, i'm surprised that lamarcus made it on their second team i always feel like he's terrible even though I know he's not, it's just uh, he walks weird and he runs weird. So I feel like he just can't be that good at basketball. Um, so for me, I was most surprised to see LaMarcus on there. He wasn't the most surprising like person to get a vote, but he's the most surprising to make the list. I think he got a lot of love at the end of that season, though. Without Kawhi playing, Aldridge really helped carry the Spurs into the playoffs. Aldridge was fantastic. He was just great. He did all of the things you want for your main guy to do, and he shouldn't even have been the main guy. And it was cool to see him doing it in kind of an old school way with a lot of post game, right? I mean, like so much, so many three point shooting bigs. It was nice to see the one different type of big man in today's league. Yeah, he. I, that's always fun to to watch him. What's great is he had a tendency. It felt like before, and every once in a while, he'll sort of lean back into it, where he would go down low and somehow. He would end up getting switched with a, like a smaller defender, and he'd shoot that goofy fourteen foot fadeaway yeah. over them. And this this season, it felt like he got a little bit meaner, and he decided, you know what, I'm not doing that bullshit anymore. I'm just trying to murder everyone. And it was that's that's the guy we want to watch when we're in San Antonio. We want that. We want the bully. We want Lamarcus the bully. There was a lot of talk on Twitter today about Damian Lillard making the first team, and how that was a little bit of a surprise. And I. I thought, like, I mean, he carried the team again. Like, during the end of the regular season, he helped carry Portland to the three seed. I, I feel like, in a way, we've almost forgotten, like, that this is a regular season award. And talking with Danny Chow earlier today, he mentioned how he thinks it would be great if All-NBA and all these awards were announced, like, a day or two after the end of the regular season. And then we had, like, another set of awards for the playoffs. Because that way, like, it would be clear, Damian Lillard, First team All-NBA, nobody would have been shocked in April, but now it's just a weird feeling coming out when it's almost June already. Is that? Would you like to see something like that in the future, Shay? Um, I think we have enough awards, but I do think, yeah, give it to them prior to the playoffs. When, you know, like how they used to do the MVP award, like during the playoffs. But why do we have to wait? We, don't, we shouldn't have to wait six weeks after the season is over to, to find out this stuff. Maybe you don't need like a a playoff, you know, all NBA team, but maybe you could like have just like a playoff MVP or, you know, best playoff, you know, player or something. I don't know. Maybe just one singular award. I mean, maybe that already is finals MVP. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, finals yeah, MVP know? because you don't, you don't want to be like, um, the Warriors win the finals and Damian Lillard is a playoff <laughs> MVP. Like what are you talking about? <laughs> he lost in the first round. Like then don't work like that. Your finals MVP is fine. First, second, Thirteen All NBA is is fine, but just do it a little earlier so we don't have to forget who who takes his spot though. If it's not if it's not Damian, you can't put Russ there, right? Yeah. Their, their season was just too bad. No. You can't put Oladipo there, can no. you? Can't put Demar Derozan either. Yeah, there's nobody you would put in that spot. That's why I think it's Dame as well. I, I didn't have an issue with it at all. I, that's who I had on my ballot. Yeah, well, John Wall missed too many games. Chris Paul missed too many games. I don't know. Did Damian Lillard? I'm just sitting here talking. I don't know how many Damian missed, um, but don't feel like as many as those other guys. I think it was maybe around eight, not a lot. Okay, good. The one guy that surprised me that made it, 
I don't know if I was surprised, but maybe I was more disappointed. Paul George making the third team. I, I thought he started off the year wonderfully, you know, for Oklahoma City. But then after Andre Robertson got hurt, George's defense really fell off in that second half. He didn't score the ball well at all. So for him to make the third team forward spot, I was I was disappointed that it wasn't Ben Simmons, who was unbelievable down the stretch for Philadelphia, or Al Horford on Boston, who was really the anchor of the best defense in basketball. Uh, I thought both of those guys were more deserving than Paul George, um, who made it just by a hair over some of those other guys. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair criticism. It was really... It was cool and also sucky that when Andre went out, the Thunder sort of struggled so much. I love, I'm a big Andre guy. So to see them, this is just what we were talking about a second ago. Like you want to be the guy who you, you go away and the team sort of struggles without you. Yeah. It was weird to see Paul George look so lost after, after Andre went down. I don't know what happened there. And Jay, I have to get your thoughts. What should be done to the voter who gave a vote to Dwight Howard for an all NBA team? I couldn't believe that. That's, I feel like that's a joke by somebody, but I don't know who would do such a terrible joke. Who is that unfunny that they would vote for Dwight Howard? <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if they just clicked the wrong button or, or are we just being too forgiving if that's the case? They might have clicked the wrong button or maybe it was straight up like uh, Dwight Howard is somebody's friend. Maybe there's one person in the world who doesn't think Dwight Howard is terrible <laughs> and that person was like, I'm going to give him a vote and see what happens. But then again, someone also gave Trevor Ariza a vote too. Maybe he also has a friend as well that that happened to him. Trevor, that's fair. Trevor is fair. Trevor is beloved in Houston, and he's an integral part of the team. I write about basketball for a living, Kevin O'Connor. That's how I pay my bills. Yes. I don't even know who Dwight Howard played for, honestly. <laughs> I don't know what team he's on. He should not. He should not have gotten a vote. But Trevor Ariza deserved at least three votes. We well, only got one, so he fell short. Yeah. Shay, I think we're at 25 minutes. You can hate me again now. That's the end of the truce. I'm getting out this phone. I'm going to send several mean tweets about you. <laughs> Shay, thank you for joining the Ring NBA show tonight. All right, Kale. Thanks again to Shay for joining the show. We're going to get the draft class, but first, a word from our sponsor. Today's Ring NBA show is brought to you by Miller Lite. Look, here on The Ringer, we have our disagreements, but there shouldn't be any debate about this. Miller Lite is the greatest tasting light beer with only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs. That's fewer calories and half the carbs of Bud Light. So there's really nothing more to talk about. If you have a real argument, let me hear it. Until then, stick with Miller Lite. Miller Lite, hold true. And now, let's bring in the draft class, guys. We're back. It's time for draft class. Calling in from Dallas, Texas, it's the ringer.com staff writer, Jonathan Charks. What's up, guys? Sitting across from me, it's popular writer, Danny Chow. You know, the, the only reason I still do this podcast is because I'm positive that my popularity decreases every time I open my mouth. So, <laughs> Danny, it's, it's moving up. That's the self-confidence you like out of you, Danny. It's good to hear. <laughs> and our podcast is produced by the man with the best singing voice at the ringer. It's Isaac Lee. How's it going, Isaac? Uh, I don't know about the best singing voice. We had Chewbacca in to do this video called Han's Plan. And Chewbacca has a really great singing voice. We should plug that. That was a great video. It was hilarious. Go listen to that after you listen to us talk draft. Let's do it. 
Draft Express's Jonathan Gavoni reported there's no better than a 50-50 chance that Luka Doncic goes in the top three, which is really surprising because he's really the consensus number one prospect. We all have him ranked first, number one at a lot of different outlets. But it seems like the Suns are going to take Arizona center DeAndre Ayton with the first pick. And I heard last Thursday that the Kings likely aren't going to take Doncic with the number two pick, which Gavoni also had in his report today. So it's starting to seem like Luka might fall out of the top three. Sharks, what do we make of this? Okay, I'm going to put this out there right now. There are four elite big men in this draft. <laughs> Michael Porter Jr. is a can't-miss player. Let's get Luka to Dallas. I'm starting it right now. <laughs> How is this happening, though, Sharks? How does it happen? I mean, I think a lot of it, Gavoni's article talked about, Luka's just being nitpicked a lot because he's been in the spotlight so long. And I mean, he is an elite athlete. He's not in great shape physically. He struggled some of the EuroLeague playoffs. Like, I get the concerns. But it kind of feels like he's been evaluated so long, people are kind of falling out of love with him almost. It could kind of be a case where you're looking at Luca and you're looking at, you know, his kind of subpar athleticism at the NBA level. And you're just like, well, is this guy really going to be my number one option for a team? If you're drafting in the top four, top three, whatever, you're looking for a guy who's going to change the face of your franchise. Is James Harden an elite athlete or Stephen Curry? No, those guys aren't either, though. They're average athletes, right? Luka's an average NBA athlete, not subpar. From the most recent games that I've watched with him kind of having the, the kind of extra yeah. extra weight gain, he hasn't really had the same amount of explosiveness that he had earlier in the year. And to your point about James Harden, I would say that he is an elite athlete in certain ways, just like you would decelerating for yeah, yep. just like you would with Curry or a guy like Nash. And yeah, there there are certainly like aspects of that with Doncic, but like I can kind of see where a lot of these higher level decision makers are like, is Doncic really going to be that guy for us? So the thing is, you know. I understand those questions being asked because of the athleticism aspect of the game. But then you look at the fact that he is an unbelievable passer right. for his age level. Unbelievable at navigating the pick and roll and keeping defenders on his back and just creating space for himself or making the pass or his teammates. His ball handling at his age, ability to draw contact, his touch. Granted, his shot hasn't fallen as much lately. He has really good touch, really good from the free throw line. He plays hard on defense. He rebounds. So it's like he does everything. Yeah. He does absolutely everything in charts. That's why I read these things. And it's like, I feel like he's just being completely nitpicked for reasons sometimes that maybe aren't as much about basketball. It, is it the other stuff? Is it the medical? Is it stuff with him staying overseas? Because it can't be just about basketball. Well, I think that and there's also two things worth keeping in mind. Like number one, I did the numbers from my article I wrote last week. He took 75% of his shots off the dribble this year. If it's more kind of like 50-50 catch and shoot versus dribble, I think his numbers will go up shooting-wise. And number two, like what you were saying, Kevin, about like Luca working in the weight room. Okay, I'm going to put this in massive air quotes. NBA, quote-unquote, strength and conditioning. We can put 20 pounds of muscle on this guy easy. If he's like 6'8", 240 of muscle, it won't even matter, I don't think, that much. Let's put him in some serious weight training for two years because he hasn't been weight trained at all so far. I do kind of wonder about the whole medical side of things. Like, by all accounts, he hasn't had any major injuries. But with the sheer amount of games he's played, so he's played so many games and Real Madrid actually isn't done yet. They're actually playing Still their... Going. Yeah, they got the ACB playoffs. Yeah, they're actually playing their final game of the regular season as we speak right now against Gran Canaria. Right after the EuroLeague right. final actually happens. Exactly. Yeah. Like, Doncic is sitting out this game, but there's still more games to come. And you wonder with a guy who's played pretty much twice the amount of games as pretty much any of the guys in college at his age group, 
You wonder if maybe there might be some certain stress injury concerns. So, Danny, are you thinking like Japanese pitchers, like that kind of thing? Like they're getting overworked overseas before they come here? And it's like, it kind of limits their career. I mean, I don't think it's that big of a concern, but it's definitely something to bring up. And it's definitely something that is probably being brought up with all this nitpicking. That's certainly part of it too, I think, because he has played so many games and because the fact that you're not getting as much access from him. Gavoni mentioned this in his article today that Doncic would probably take his own physical and provide those medical records rather than the team giving him their actual physical to Okay, I'm going to say something sacrilegious right now. Do it up. Maybe just don't let him play summer league. Just shut him down for like two months. Let him just chill out. Like, I know we all love summer league, but I think Luke has shown enough overseas that it'll be okay if he misses summer league. Yeah, I think that would be a perfectly fine plan for whatever team drafts him. I, I think, if anything, it would almost be overdoing it by having him play. I mean, what does he need to do that for? Yeah, he's no, got no need for it. It'd be beneficial to, I think, give him that time off. Part of me wonders, Danny, is all of this misdirection? Because I've talked to a handful of NBA people right. that are like, I don't get it. I still think he's a top two guy. I, someone said to me earlier today, they think Aiton's the only person who should go ahead of Doncic. So is this all possibly just misdirection and really everybody wants him? Yeah, I just don't really understand what the kind of incentive is to throw out this specific kind of smokescreen if you're a team at the very top. Is it leverage for a trade? Maybe. Or? There could be a lot of movement, I think. But we all saw last year, like, it's just helpful to keep people in the dark. Because if the Lakers had, like, not been so obvious about Lonzo, <laughs> possibly that Boston-Philly trade doesn't even happen. Like, it's just probably helpful to be more vague, I think. I think there's no benefit for being honest, is what right. I'm thinking. And I, I don't think there's any threat of him staying overseas. Look, Sharks laid it out in his piece last week, but He's a EuroLeague champion, EuroLeague MVP, EuroLeague Final Four MVP, a rising star twice, <laughs> and a EuroBasket Euro champion. champion. Keep going, yeah. keep going, there is keep nothing, going. There is it's nothing not over. Left. <laughs> there is nothing left for him to prove at this level. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's any threat of him staying overseas. I think it's absolutely fascinating that this is actually a story a little bit less than a month away from the draft. And we're talking about him maybe falling out of the top three. And I love Doncic. He's number one on my board. He's number one on all our boards. I can understand the logic, you know, for a team to feel like they want to take a guy like Jaron Jackson, a two-way center who can protect the rim, defend the perimeter, can shoot threes for you. I can understand the appeal in a Marvin Bagley uh, who's going to be able to get buckets in the NBA, who's going to rebound, because there's a sense of certainty with some of these players, whereas with Doncic, you do have the, you know, the medical aspect. You do well, have- see, I would say, like, if he want to nitpick, we can nitpick the, all these top five guys. Oh, if you want to get that, like, you know, that's kind of like a little much to me. Well, and that's why we all have him ranked number one. And the the one thing that stood out in Gavoni's report from Thursday was that he's kind of getting a little thick. The Doncic diet? Yeah. So Gavoni mentioned that he kind of has this affinity for fast food. And in the Fantastic Mina Kimes article on ESPN Mag, got into his his love of nachos and fajitas at Hard Rock. (laughs) Um, So what do you guys make of this? Is this normal for a 19-year-old kid? It's certainly normal for me as a 19-year-old kid. I think Markel has really hurt everyone's diet takes. Like now every prospect has to be like, thanks, Markel. Now if I go to Chick-fil-A, everyone's going to hate me. Like that's what's really going on here. I mean, the hate with faults is more the shoulder thing. I don't think, was, I think people forgot about the fast food with him at this point. They, I, I hear it all the time. I people don't know. I don't know. KFC, when, when we talked, you you had some pretty significant concerns. Oh, like, there were, I do. I do. With, I do with Luca as well. I think diet matters. It's very important. It's critically important, but in, do in you, my opinion. But do you think it's overblown in the sense that, look, when he's in the NBA, there's going to be a complete 
system built around getting him in complete shape. No doubt. Yeah. I have no concerns if he's willing to adapt, but if he's going to continue trying to eat, you know, fattening food and all that, well, I I mean, mean, like, yeah, that's the thing for any any teenager. Like, I think most of them eat pretty poorly would be my assumption. There are very few Michael Porter vegans out there, which is a whole different can of worms. Yeah. So I personally do not have a specific diet, but do you guys have diets you guys would recommend for Doncic at, at the next level? You're on one now, Charks, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on the keto diet. Like, shout out to the keto diet. No carbs, no sugar. I got a lot of energy. I'm loving it. I did a diet in 2011, similar to the keto diet, no carb diet. It's called the 17-day diet. Lost a lot of weight. It was very beneficial. But I wouldn't recommend that to a professional athlete because Luca, for him, right now he's just gained a little bit of weight. Like, you want to turn it into muscle, so. Yeah, I want to get him yoked up. That's what I want. Let's get some muscle head trainers in there. Look, players gain weight over the course of the season. And like Gavoni also said in the report, it's not necessarily the best strength and conditioning program in Europe that they have in the NBA. So I don't worry about it too much with him. From all I've heard of him, he is a hardworking player. He wants to maximize his potential. I wouldn't read into it too much, but it certainly is a factor. I think this might be good for him. It's, it's fuel for his hashtag motivation, all these hashtag haters. It might be for the best if he's being doubted, honestly. Yep, hashtag they sleep. Soon enough, he'll have a full sleeve tattoos as well. Oh, man. Go full Reddick. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. So if Doncic is moving down, one of the guys moving up is Michael Porter Jr. I, I reported on Monday that the Clippers possibly have interest in moving up for Porter. Clippers owner Steve Ballmer was hovering in the, the media section at the NBA Combine, and he said to some reporters, wait a minute, wait a minute, I got, I got to go see this. And he walked over to Michael Porter's media scrum, and he just stood there lurking in the back for a couple seconds. And Ballmer had mentioned Porter before on Bill Simmons' podcast. He saw him at a lot of um, games and with Seattle. Yeah, because he's in Seattle, right? He's in yes, Seattle. Nathan yes. Hale. That makes yeah, sense. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But there's also talk that the Kings love him, and they're at number two. So I don't really see Porter falling any further than six or seven. Danny, what explains Michael Porter's rise after missing virtually the entire season at Missouri? You know, I think it's because uh, he's a raw vegan. You know, veganism has kind of taken off. It's a hot trend. Lillard. Perfect for L.A. Yeah, Damian Lillard started the season off eating vegan, and look where he is now. He's a first-team All-NBA yeah. point guard. I think that's it. But no, like looking back at the draft board, I'm sure a lot of teams are kind of trying to figure out maybe the gaps that they've missed. And you see Michael Porter maybe a little lower than you would have expected. And you're like, well, this guy was a consensus number one for a while. He was definitely consensus top three. If his medicals are clear, what's stopping him from being that guy again? Sure. And, and you know, if Michael Porter did end up coming to L.A., I would recommend he go to Gracias Madre. I went there with my friend who was nice. vegan. And yep. it's unbelievable. Just Crossroads, also good. Fantastic. My thing with him, you know, like you said earlier, Danny, he was number one, number two, number three high school prospect before the season. Part of me wonders how much is our evaluation of him tainted from this really a, a no-show season for him that featured back surgery, which is pretty major. But if you're looking strictly at basketball, if the medical's good, if his back isn't going to be a problem— if you're looking strictly at basketball, he's six foot ten. Six foot eleven, actually. Six, yeah, six foot eleven. Yeah, six foot ten point seven five. I mean, that's what he's gonna be listed as for sure. He's really built. You know, he's got a pretty close to an NBA body as is. He can stroke threes off the dribble. He can handle super confident player. In today's league, you know, we talk so much about versatility and being able to defend multiple positions. Projecting forward, he seems like the type of guy that can do that. So you got to essentially reset your evaluation sometimes at one point. And with Porter, I can understand, Charks, like if a team is like, you know what, maybe this guy is actually the guy in the draft and we're just too worried about what happened during the season. 
I think it's also worthwhile to remember. So I, we've all watched him a lot at those international tournaments, especially the under 18 in South America last, I guess it was two summers ago now. Yep. Like there were legit questions about his game. Forget the back stuff. So like he's got the size, the shooting ability, but he wasn't much of a passer as a younger player. He didn't have a great first step as a younger player. So he's got a lot of talent, but let's not forget that there are question marks. He was not even a sure thing before the injury. I mean, he's got talent for sure. But not a sure thing. I don't. The think. funny thing about that, Sharks, is I talked to a couple executives at the NBA Combine of teams that interviewed Porter, and they started talking about his interviews. And one of them mentioned how Porter was super confident during the interview. Like they asked him, "What are your weaknesses?" And he's like, "I have no weaknesses. Basketball, <laughs> like I work too hard, or something. Mm. One of those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was. Yeah, it was just a, you know, it wasn't, I care too much. Yeah, he was cocky, right? He expressed that there's no weaknesses. Basketball will take care of itself. And the other executive chimed in. Same thing with us. Like we got the same exact vibe. And it wasn't necessarily a knock against him because I think you want confidence. But it's interesting because he does have weaknesses. You kind of want a player who's cognizant of what he can improve on, though. Ball handling, dude. Like he really needs to improve his handle. And it's tough to read into that from the end of the season when he had a hard time creating off the dribble. But as Trucks just said, that was something that was apparent in high school as well, especially dribbling towards his left. Like he needs to get better as a ball handler in order to become the scorer that you project him as. Like he's just not going to happen. And even a guy who can like read the floor, if you can traverse the court a little bit with more ease, the floor opens up and maybe some of the decision-making that he hasn't really shown in the past kind of blossoms once the ball handling comes in. And the other thing too, to keep in mind, like you're saying about his confidence, Kevin, like you can see it in the court. I think we talked about this before, but so he comes back from an injury. He plays like two games, takes like 17 shots a game. And after the game, he's like, yeah, I wasn't very healthy. It's like, well, then why are you taking 17 shots? Like you have a good team around. He went to the NCAA tournament. We don't get to shoot every time he touched the ball, but that's just how he plays, it seems like. In other words, you're saying he has chucker potential. Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't? I would, too, if I was him, but it's something to think about. Charks, what's your comp Rushmore for Michael Porter Jr.? All right, I'm going to start out hating real hard. I'd say his floor is Jeff Green. I Ooh. think there's some of that there. Ooh. He's not careful. Jeffrey. I would say, like, if he feels himself too much comp, it's Rudy Gay. If he just starts jacking mm-hmm. all the time and never really develops the rest of his game. Then I would say, this is not just an injury comp, but there's definitely some Nino Gallinari in his game. In terms of like just being a bigger point forward shooting wing guy. And then I'll, I'll say his ceiling is the great Joe Johnson, who gets very underrated nationally. If your ceiling is Joe Johnson, that's awesome because Joe Johnson was great. That's a great comp. I am a big, big Joe Johnson fan. And it, it makes a lot of sense too. Joe Johnson wasn't, um, he was a very big wing, but it wasn't like his wingspan was spectacular. It was actually pretty much the same as his height, actually. Like so, Michael Porter. Yeah, Porter. yeah Porter. Like, Porter. with, with Porter. the wingspan. Yeah. That's the KD comp, is, I, to me, is not even comparable. KD has got like a 7'5", seven, 7'6", seven, wings. It's 7'5", I think. Like, it's a whole different ball game The for KD. KD comp is just, forget it. Yeah. Like, he's not Kevin Durant. I mean, let's, let's not forget that when Thonmaker first arose onto the scene, he was compared as a cross between <sighs> KD and Chris Paul. Uh, and now, he, <laughs> and now he can't even run a pick and roll you, correctly you, half you, the time. You know what's funny is looking in the YouTube comments at like high school film. Yeah, especially for there's Don a lot Maker. of gems in there. I'm yeah, sure. Like he's like cross between KD and KG. It's like no, sorry, not yeah. at all. Not yeah. At all. I'm gonna hit. I'm hit shot with the Earl Benson. Like I knew Kevin Durant. I watched him at college. I went to all his games at Texas. And Michael Porter is not Kevin Durant. Just not. Sharks. What does Porter need to do to become like the supersized version of a Joe Johnson? I mean, I just think he needs to work on polish his game. He's a raw player right now. He's got to polish. You said polish the ball handling. 
get a little thicker, polish the jumper, polish decision-making. Like the tools are there, but he's got work to do. He's not by any means a finished product. It's funny because you mentioned Jeff Green and Joe Johnson. And those two guys, you know, coming into the league were kind of lauded as guys who made very good decisions with the ball, could make the right pass, the right reads. Which is crazy to me. I can't believe Jeff Green was saying right? that. Doesn't, that blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, it was it was partially the function of playing in Georgetown systems and, and playing alongside Roy Hibbert. But, you know, with Joe Johnson, he was basically the backup point guard for the 0405 Suns when Nash was out of the game. Mainly because they didn't have any other options, but he was still, you know, relied upon to do that. And that's kind of where, like, I don't really see it for Porter. And even in Atlanta, Johnson was really one of the primary playmakers of, right. of a couple on the team. You know, not necessarily the quote-unquote point guard, but he was a playmaker. And that's where Porter, yeah, you would like to see a little bit more passing vision from him. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of, he has blinders on sometimes. But he's certainly a, an intriguing prospect. That I, Look, if you're a team drafting 2-3 and you're thinking Porter's the guy, you feel he is, maybe you trade down. Or you know what? Maybe you just say, screw it. We're taking him right here at 2-3. If you need that go-to scoring guy more so than a big, more so than a passing guy like Luka Doncic, I, I get it. I can understand it, even though I don't necessarily subscribe to that same school of thought. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can trade down too far with a guy like with Porter's tool set. Like, yeah. I feel like the Mavs at five might be his floor. Like, I could see the Mavs taking him real quickly. I think so, too. I, I think Porter, that probably is his floor at five, maybe six if they pass. I don't oh, know. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think the Magic pick him up immediately. Unless they fall in love with Trey Young. Well, there's a long <laughs> yeah. way to go. It's going to be super intriguing to see where a lot of these guys land. But we don't have any time for any more today. Isaac, we need grades. Yeah, I'm going to start with Danny today. Uh, in true Danny Chow fashion, you pointed out Luca's diet. True to your brand as a foodie. You know, we had a lot of diet talk in general, which is really, really fun. And so popular writer Danny Chow, you get an F for food. Oh, I thought it was <laughs> going to be space. D for diet. But all right, that's cool. That's cool. Either way, it's not a passing grade. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom. Kevin O'Connor, you reported that my beloved Los Angeles Clippers could move up to get Michael Porter Jr. I'm kind of ambivalent on Porter himself, but... We did just extend Doc Rivers as, as our coach who has never developed any young player ever. So it's not really the best environment for a raw guy like Porter Jr. Therefore, Kevin, you get a C for Clippers going clip. I'm cool with it. I like it. Thank you, Isaac. Jonathan Charks, you made a Japanese pitcher comp for Luca, saying that maybe the concern is that he's been playing a lot overseas. And, you know, the latest... Japanese import to the MLB is Shohei Otani and he looks freaking Ooh. great. He looks like a Hall of Famer. So uh, I don't know about that comparison there. So you get a B for baseball. Hey, cross sports. So I'll just have cross sport talk here. Well, that was fun, guys. Jonathan, thank you for calling in from Dallas. As always. Danny, thank you for joining the show. A pleasure. Isaac, thank you as well, man. Thank you. And thank you, Shay, for joining the show earlier, even though he hates me. Next week, it's the first Friday of the month. That means it's mailbag week. So please submit questions for the mailbag by using Ringer NBA, hashtag Ringer NBA on Twitter, Instagram, wherever. We'll find it. Thank you so much for listening to the Ringer NBA show. Please rate the show five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts for extra credit. Please check out the Ringer's 2018 NBA draft guide at nbadraft.theringer.com. Special shout out to my friend and the biggest NBA fan I know, Elon Musk. I appreciate him for reading my article about the Rockets and the Warriors, despite blasting the media and journalism as a whole. Appreciate it, Elon. Anyway, we'll talk to you next Friday. Thank you so much for listening. Have fun. Peace out. Hey.